0: Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, we have a uh, we have a guest today. We haven't had a guest in a while. We pulled him from the pool side. I don't think that was probably very fair. Although you know what, it's snowing as I'm looking out my window, so maybe that was fair. Um, Carlos, I'm wearing a hoodie and a hat because I have a little bit of a chill this morning. I had to go get uh, to get a COVID test, to be frank, and uh, it's come back negative, at least the, the rapid test. So I, I'm good enough to sit here with you. How about that? Does that work?
1: Yes, but we said we agreed no more COVID talk on the podcast. So Mick McCabe almost ended the
0: podcast, and you're trying to end it with COVID talk. So let's not let's not start on a downer. Look, well, no, this isn't this isn't going to be a, a, a podcast about COVID. It might creep up in the conversation because you know of where our guest is and what he's doing and how a little bit uh, how, how it's affected things down with Michigan's preparation for for Georgia and the Orange Bowl and the college football playoff semifinals. Um, but other than that, Carlos, we're not going to talk about COVID much. Don't worry. We're going to let Michael Cohen, who is our guest, uh, inform us and educate us and tell us what the hell is going on down in Fort Lauderdale. Is that right, Michael? Uh,
2: Dania Beach, technically. But yeah, I can see the Fort Lauderdale airport from my hotel room window, so close enough.
0: Okay, okay. So, so, so for those of you that don't know, and that better be none of you, Michael uh, covers Michigan football and basketball and anything else for us and does a great job and and had a really good story uh, earlier this week on Tuesday about Michigan's offensive line and how they play uh, and how they match up against defensive lines that like to do a lot of stunning and twisting and, and bring pressures from, uh, you know, con- con- try to bring pressure in confusing ways. And uh, it's funny, Michael, because as I was reading the story, I could hear you. I want to tell our listeners, I could hear you and our conversation in the press box in Nebraska but in Lincoln back earlier in the fall when you were literally saying, look, Nebraska's doing this and this and this. Here you are you know, six stories up in the sky, and you're pointing out what the offensive line's doing. And it was pretty damn prescient, if I may say so. And so it was nice to see you loop back to that. But, but just uh, tell us first, you can start with the offensive line, you don't have to, but just what, what do you think of this matchup now that we're finally a few days, uh, a couple of days away?
2: Yeah, well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, happy to to join you and talk a little a little ball today. Um, yeah, the reason I started with a story about the offensive line is because I think I think it kind of is the story of this matchup. You know, Georgia has this defense that is you know considered by some to be historically good. They have as many as seven or eight NFL draft picks in their front seven alone, uh, meaning linebackers and defensive linemen. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a team that is in the top 10 in just about every statistical category that you want to be in. Um, and so to me, you know, for a, a team like Michigan that has, you know, prided itself on winning in the trenches, and of course, its offensive line was recognized with the Joe Moore Award as the top group in the country uh, last week, uh, to go up against this volunteer defense, I think, is kind of the story because if they can't win in the trenches, I don't really see a path to victory for them. And so the the crux of the story was that, you know if there's for all the things that michigan's offensive line has done well this season and it's basically everything the only area where they've struggled is against teams that use stunts and twists which means they take one defender at the line of scrimmage, and they loop them around another defender so that they trade places. And the goal of trading places is that it makes it harder for the offensive lineman to pick up their blocks and pass things off because it's almost like zone defense in basketball. So when the guy has to go from one spot to the other, you have to pass them to the next defender. And when you're doing that, when 290-pound guys are sprinting at you, it's really difficult. So that's the only area that they struggled. And Nebraska and Indiana combined for 11 of the 28 quarterback hits that Michigan gave up this season, which means 39.3% of all hits they allowed came against the two teams that used stunts and twists frequently. And the reason I wrote about that is because Georgia does this all the time. And it's a little unusual because for the most part, teams that choose to stunt and twist do it because they're trying to overcome physical limitations that they have at those positions. Either they're too small or they're too slow or they're not strong enough. And so you stunt and twist to try and offset some of those Um, deficiencies that you may have. And so I I talked to six different coaches that coached against Georgia this year, and and all of them pointed out how unusual it is that a team with that much individual talent would rely on stunts and twists because you're basically asking really, really, really good players to do things that make it even harder for the offensive line to pick up. And it's just unusual. And so that's going to be fascinating to me to see how this offensive line has improved or not improved the one area that has given them problems all season.
0: Carlos, do you think we hired the right guy? Yeah, I would say
1: <laughs> that's that's a, that's a beautiful dissertation on offensive line, defensive line, uh, trench. You know, and Michael, you know, Sean has no idea what winning in the trenches means, but he talks about it all the time. So I'm glad you're able to educate him and me a little bit on this. Um, so let me ask you this. And, you know, I'm sure you're going to have a story about this, but to me, the most exciting part is the flip of that of Aiden Hutchinson, possibly the number one overall draft pick, and obviously David Ojabo as well. But kind of the uh, the converse of how good how, how does Michigan's defensive line match up against Georgia's offensive line? So uh, that's a strength for Michigan, right?
2: Yeah, I would I would say so. Um, you know, the last four or five years Georgia has pumped out NFL caliber offensive linemen at a really high rate, but this group that they have is not quite up to the level of those those past classes, Um, and that's not to say that they're bad because, you know, look, this is Georgia. They're still getting four and five-star players at just about every position, but of the five guys that they start on the offensive line, the left tackle is probably the only surefire NFL-caliber player, and he's going to play guard in the NFL, but he's playing tackle right now because he's big enough to play tackle in college. Their center is not bad. He could make it in the NFL just because center is such a niche position, Um, but essentially, you know, these are more along the lines of one really good left tackle or one really solid left tackle and then kind of an average offensive line by SEC standards. So I don't think there's any question that Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo would be favored to win their one-on-one matchups on the edges. The problem is that Georgia's offense, much like Michigan's offense, is designed to avoid getting behind the chains at all costs. And so the same way that Michigan's play caller, Josh Gaddis protects Cade McNamara is the same way that Georgia's play caller, Todd Munkin, protects Stetson Bennett. And so when you watch Georgia play, there's a lot of stuff where Stetson Bennett is only asked to read one half of the field. In other words, as soon as he takes the snap, he's either looking left or right, and he's not asked to scan the whole field. They do a lot of sprint outs where he'll get the snap, and then he'll quickly roll to one side or the other again making it a half field read um and the one kind of question mark is what georgia can do with its tight ends because georgia has probably the best group of tight ends in the country they have a true freshman brock bowers who nfl scouts are already drooling over despite the fact that he's a true freshman he leads them in every receiving category he's uh i got my roster right here hold on he's uh Brock Bowers is 6'4, 230. Their backup tight end is six seven two seventy five. So they've got some monsters. And the thought is that if they keep those guys in, in protection, that they would at least be bulky enough to impede Hutchinson and Ojabo and the rare instances where Stetson Bennett gets behind the chains, but I'm not so convinced just because, you know, teams have kept in running backs and tight ends against these guys all year long. And, and quite frankly, it really hasn't mattered or it, has been effective for 80% of the game, but then the remaining 20% is enough for Michigan to, to find ways to force a sack fumble or push them from touchdown range into field goal range or field goal range into short punt range, et cetera. So I'm really curious about that, but I don't think there's any question in terms of one-on-one that Hutchinson and Ojabo have big advantages. It's just a matter of whether the offense gets the ball out quick enough and moves Stetson Bennett around enough to where they can kind of nullify some of the things that, that those guys want to do. Um, like, you know, for example, the Ohio State game when C.J. Stroud dropped back and held the ball for two, three, three and a half seconds. I don't think Stetson Bennett's going to be doing a whole lot of that. So can they get home quickly enough? And if they can't, can they knock down passes and disrupt passing lanes in another way?
0: So, Michael's getting back to the offensive line a little bit or just the offense in general, How? what do you think? Uh, and you, you don't need to give me a percentage here. It's hard to know that, but just the way Michigan's played most of their games, the, the, the breakdown of the run versus the pass. And you talked about protecting Cade McNamara, not asking him to do too, too much. You and I have had this discussion actually a lot through, through, through the fall. Against Georgia, all that talent you're talking about on the, on, the def, on the front seven. And, Carlos, that's the defensive lineman and the linebackers just for edification there. Um, wait, wait, can you go all, over that again? What was it? Yeah. Front yeah, seven. Uh, how, many, uh, how many players all, on the front the, seven, Sean? I think there are nine. All that talent uh, up front, Michael, and if they do bottle up Hassan Haskins a little bit or Blake Corum, um, what what's McNamara going to have to do in, in in your view to move the ball
2: and score some points against
0: this this defense?
2: Yeah, so you know, I, I one of the things I like to try and do is reach out to people that know a lot more about football than I ever will, and so I spent a lot of last week, which was Christmas week, I guess. Um, reaching out to to coaches who had coached against Georgia because I figured they could explain some of the X's and O's better. And so I encourage everybody to check out some of those stories um, on the Free Press website. We have coaches breaking down Georgia's offense, coaches breaking down Georgia's defense and coaches breaking down Georgia's special teams units to kind of give you an idea of what the actual strengths and weaknesses are as explained by people who do this for a living. Um, and so, you know, I think what, what the consensus is, is that, Georgia's safeties. So Georgia basically plays two deep safeties at all times. They're not one of these teams that plays with one safety in the middle of the field and the other one down toward the box. They will keep two safeties deep at all times to both protect their corners, which are probably the weaker position group on that defense, and then also to prevent against long passes over the top. So the consensus among coaches that I talk to is that you want to try and isolate the safeties in coverage. So that means sending enough players deep to where the safeties have to pick up somebody man to man or, you know, in their zone or whatever, because those guys are back there in a two shell protection, but they don't want to be covering a lot of people one-on-one. They want to cover areas, not players. And so if McNamara can find ways on some of these deep shots that he takes to find some success, you know, I think that the potential is there given the fact that the secondary is the weaker part of george's defense now as you and i have talked about and as you sort of mentioned in terms of not asking mcnamara to do too much you know the simple explanation of of michigan's offense is run 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 short pass short pass short pass and then like one or two times a quarter let's take a deep shot and see if we hit it now mcnamara and josh Gaddis have been able to hit enough of those To where they're actually one of the more explosive teams in the country in terms of gains over 50 yards plays that gain over 50 yards. And so I think Gaddis is in a real groove right now drawing up some of these trick plays or quasi trick plays misdirections. And so I think they'll be able to hit Georgia deep once or twice throughout the game. It's just a, a matter of whether or not once they hit that deep shot, if it doesn't result in a touchdown, can they then run the ball enough or move the ball enough to get from, say, the 25-yard line to the end zone or the 17-yard line to the end zone? And so they don't have to settle for, for field goals all the time. So that's kind of how I think it's going to play out is bang your head against the wall, bang your head against the wall, bang your head against the wall, and then mix in the occasional long pass. And you know, the track record says they'll hit them, and, they, and maybe they will because they've done it all year long. But then can they get from where that long pass ends the rest of the way to the end zone? That, to me, is going to be interesting because Michigan had tons of problems with red zone execution earlier in the season. And then they fixed it late, but they still haven't played a defense this good yet. So I'm really curious to see how that pans out.
0: Carlos. Yeah.
1: That's uh, it's it's very interesting. You say the sh- the short run and short pass and deep shot. I I didn't know both Sean Beckler and Lloyd Carl still calling the offense for Michigan, but um, <laughs> it sounds exciting, very innovative for Michigan. So so Michael, the the thing that Sean really wants to ask you is you know being in Miami and in the or the Fort Lauderdale area, like just how amazing the food is, how much fun you're having, how many restaurants you've been to, nightclubs. That's that's really what Sean is focused on, but. The other, the question I have for you is how much excitement is there? And I know that, you know, I don't know if the fans are have, I'm sure the fans are there now kind of taking over uh, Fort Lauderdale and all the, the beautiful spots, but, but just the, the intensity, the Michigan hasn't been here before they haven't been here. You know, uh, this kind of huge game, you know, the semifinal, I mean, what, what's it, what's it like, what's the vibe like down there around the team, fans that you've run into that kind of stuff.
2: You know, I, I think it's, it's kind of a, an interesting sort of mood, I think, among the fan base, at least from what I've gathered and, and maybe Michigan fans as a whole would disagree. But I think it's kind of like an unbelievable excitement that they're here. A really strong belief that their team is very good and that they deserve to be here and all those types of things, which, of course, they do deserve to be here based on the way they played. Um But then I think there's kind of like this this unspoken trepidation about like, well, well, what happens if we kind of like get killed or like this doesn't go well or like we can't run the ball at all? What (laughs) happens? Um, And so, you know, it could be that Big Ten SEC thing, you know, that has kind of been one of those college football playoff or BCS storylines going back the last 20 years, you know, SEC speed versus Big Ten speed, et cetera, et cetera um but I I don't know I I think there's there's tons of Michigan fans that are going to be down here from what I've heard I think it's going to be more Michigan fans than Georgia fans in the stadium but I think there's this kind of undercurrent of nervousness about like we had this great season but now we're playing this potentially historically good defense and and what if it gets ugly and and you know that kind of thing but I don't know I I find it hard to believe that even if Michigan loses that they get blown out I just I Think the defense is good enough to keep them in it for the most part. And I I really don't think Stetson Bennett is is going to, to win a game by himself. You know, this is the one matchup for Michigan that I think worked out best at the quarterback position because, you know, I, I don't think there's any question that, you know, Alabama and Cincinnati are led by quarterbacks that people would say are better than McNamara. But I don't think there's a lot of people who would take Stetson Bennett over McNamara. And so that kind of, I think, is is one area that that gives a lot of fans confidence. Um, And so we'll have to see how it shakes out. But the spread is last I looked, it was seven and a half for Georgia. And I think that's a little much. I think it'll be closer than that. Um, But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think fans are really, really excited. But I just think they're kind of nervous about what if what if the magical season finally, you know, peters out.
0: Michael, I hate to put you on the spot here, but do you, do you have a few more minutes for us? Sure. Because I'd like to talk about Jim Harbaugh and just the, the, the bigger picture of this season and what, what we were thinking back in September compared to where we are now. Um, but we need to take a quick break, if uh, that's okay with our producer, Mr. Tad Davis. All right. He's giving us a thumbs up. We will uh, be right back. Hey, it's Sean Windsor, and I'd like to tell you about the new sports app we've launched as part of our USA Today family. USA Today Sports Plus is the new sports app that puts fans first. Get the latest scores, stats, and standings, and enjoy interactive experiences with our award-winning sports writers, which obviously does not include me. Download USA Today Sports Plus from the Apple or Google Play stores today. USA Today Sports Plus. Fan harder. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, let's continue this this conversation with with Michael Cohen, the the Michigan beat writer for the for the Free Press for us. Um, I mean, you just heard the explanation, the, the analysis, the work he put in. I mean, he didn't he didn't celebrate Christmas. I don't know if he celebrate he didn't celebrate the holidays. How about that? He was too busy calling up coaches down in the SEC, and 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 we're hearing the fruits of that work right now. Which is uh, which is pretty pretty amazing. So look, we we just for your you, you, the listener out there, that maybe we have two listeners at this point. For your uh, information, Michael Michael joined us back at the beginning of the fall. He'd come from uh, mostly an NFL background, and uh, you know didn't have a lot. I mean, I mean he knew some about Michigan, right? And he had to do a lot of homework when he got here, but I think he knew enough to know that Michigan had won won two games last year, lost four. There were a lot of unhappy parts of the fan base, a big segment of the fan base, and I'm not sure many people thought that Michael would be sitting in the college football playoff uh, semifinals, right out, you know, 30 minutes from the stadium, getting ready to cover that. So, w- Michael, at what point did you start to think, yeah, this this might be different? And I understand you haven't had the larger context of the last six, seven years of Jim Harbaugh's tenure. You no,
2: know, it's an interesting question because I think through the first few weeks of the season, there were reasons to believe that Michigan was really good. But then when they lost to, to Michigan state in that, you know, kind of classic back and forth game, I I kind of thought maybe that would be where it fizzled out a little bit that, you know, the Michigan team that, you know, had struggled to be a resilient bunch struggled with some of the, uh, the toughness aspects of the game that fans wanted to see more of. I thought maybe that that would be a, a point where they crumbled a little bit. You know, you lose a gut wrenching game to your rival. You're no longer undefeated. Your rival passes you in the rankings, you know, all this, that, and the other, but you know, tremendous amount of credit to Harbaugh's staff and the players for not only bouncing back, but bouncing back the way they did by then, you know, absolutely pummeling Ohio state, despite, you know, a 14 point margin on the scoreboard that was not a 14 point game. And then, you know, just, just completely eviscerating Iowa by the time the first quarter was over, that game was over. And so I guess to me, you know, where did I think that the turning point was, I'd probably say Penn state on the road at Penn state. I would say that was the one because Penn State played a really good game that day, but Mike McDonald, you know, authored this beautiful game plan to contain Jahan Dodson and absolutely, you know, batter Sean Clifford. And it was just this, you know, this, this kind of storybook ending where Josh Gaddis calls a play that they've been working on for two or three years, but they'd never run it. And then it hits, he hits, uh, he hits McNamara, hits Eric All on a crossing route and all turns up the field on a busted ankle and sprints into the end zone. And it just, that to me was kind of like, okay, this is, this is potentially going to be a a pretty special season. Um, but then still, even as I thought that I still didn't think they were going to beat Ohio state, you know, I picked, uh, Ohio state to win. I thought Ohio state would win somewhat comfortably. and, And once again, I was proven, you know, profoundly wrong on that regard and, and Michigan played their tails off. And so, you know, I guess it was then really that, you know, I had no doubt they beat Iowa. I didn't think I thought whoever beat, whoever won that game, Michigan or Ohio state, I thought was going to, you know, destroy Iowa. And sure enough, you know, Michigan did, but you know, it's, it's been a, you know, the, the players have said it all year that there's this brotherhood, this toughness, this bond, this, this reinvigoration, buying back into what the coaching staff is saying, feeling more of an ownership over the offense and defense because the coaching staff, this coaching staff, after Harbaugh hired a slew of assistants, is giving them more input Um, So, you know, in fairness to the players and coaches, they kind of said all year that they thought this was going to be a special season. And collectively, a lot of us, myself included, kind of rolled our eyes and said, yeah, okay, let's see what happens when you actually play games. But then sure enough, they went and played those games and did the things that they said they were going to do. Um, So for all the skepticism that people in the media had, and again, I was one of those people for sure. uh, The players didn't have any skepticism and they thought they were going to be good from the beginning and they did it. But for me, it was that win over Penn State, I guess, that I really started to think um, that this team had the chance to do something special. But as I said, I then picked them to lose to Ohio State. So I'm not I'm not free from blame, I guess, until the Big Ten title game when I picked them to to beat Iowa pretty soundly. So, yeah, it's it's been surprising. And then, obviously, the the momentum they just picked up on the recruiting trail. They had a great recruiting class put together with a bunch of guys signed late or stolen late after other coaches changed jobs. And, um, you know, Harbaugh has really turned this around in the span of a calendar year.
0: Carlos?
1: Yeah, is the, I mean – I, to me, I remember thinking the same thing, right? It was such a disappointing season for Michigan last year, even though with all the COVID and everything else. Um, and uh, to me, it was Wisconsin. I mean, when they beat Wisconsin, someone where they went and they traditionally have struggled and then they went to Nebraska, you know, and all that. And it just it just it step by step, you know, and what I what are the things I keep thinking about is when they lost to Michigan State the players kept saying, you know, all our goals are still in front of us. And I remember thinking, like, it's that just happy, wishful thinking. Like, here comes Ohio State. They're going to put a beating on them. You know, it's not uh, how do you come back from this loss, tough loss to Michigan State. Um, But it was so it's been inspiring to see that, to see how they rebounded. And obviously, they've needed help from other teams losing to get to where they are right now. But. It's just been, and then I think you know. I don't want to get into the NFL too much, but like the LA Rams with Stafford, and they kind of went through the same thing. They had a lull and said, you know, we got to keep going through this. And their their rivals, the Cardinals, have struggled, so they've come back on top. Now they're near the top of the of the playoff seedings in the NFC. So, so I think there's a lesson there that I love about you know Michigan teams like that. It's just like let's don't give up. You know, you you can have a setback; it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. And how they've responded. Um, and and, and so now. Is this it? I mean, is this is the is the Harbaugh magic back? Is is everything forgiven? Has he been redeemed? Is it it's, you know, Coach Harbaugh, go, go, go
2: now. I mean, that's that's the million dollar question. Right. And I think at a bare minimum, he's secured his his job for at least another two or three years, because they're probably going to be decent again next year, if not very good next year, depending on what happens with the defense. But most of the pieces that they need on offense are probably going to be back. So you would think that they'd be solid once again. Um, and their schedule is unbelievably easy next year. So they should have a chance to to rack up a lot of wins. And then, you know, if, if Harbaugh puts together back-to-back nice seasons, that's only going to, you know, bank more equity for him in, in the, uh, uh, Ward manual ledger book. Um, but it certainly seems like the the magic is back. I mean, I, to me, the, the, the real testament was the recruiting, which I kind of alluded to earlier, because even after the Big Ten title game, even after they won, their recruiting class was not particularly impressive. But then between the end of the Big Ten title game and the early signing period, when that started on the 15th or whichever day it was, 15th or 16th, they did unbelievable work. And I don't know who came up with the strategy or maybe it's not that novel of a strategy. I don't know, but they made it their goal to go out and get and pursue and try and snag any kids, big time recruits who were committed to programs, whose coaches then went somewhere else. So they got a kid who was committed to Oklahoma. You know, they got a kid who was committed to Virginia tech. They got a kid who was committed to, um, you know, all these big schools and, and they, they, they scooped up five or six you know, four-star or high three-star kids within the last week and a half of recruiting all from these programs that changed schools. There was like five or six different programs that they targeted and they got all these kids. And so that to me was the indication of the the momentum train starting to roll again because in a short period of time, they were able to win what they needed to win and then take the, um, you know, the elixir that comes with that and, and you know, use it to attract the next group of kids that's that's coming in and so if they can stack another really good class and their 2023 class yeah that's what it is is already shaping up to be really good it's ranked in the top 5 in the country already because they've gotten a few early commits if they can keep it rolling you know i don't think there's any reason why The momentum won't be back. Now, the one caveat to that is which members of Harbaugh's coaching staff, if any, move on and when they choose to move on, because eventually, you know, any winning program over time, your coaches are going to get plucked away because they're going to get bigger opportunities. Now, I still don't know if Mike McDonald wants to be a college football coach or an NFL coach, the defensive coordinator. You could argue that his stock will never be higher than it is right now, because if Hutchinson and Ojabo are both gone next year, which it looks like they both will be, if the defense isn't as good, what do people think about his scheme and his ability and this, that, and the other? Um, Sharon Moore, the offensive line coach, did such an unbelievable job this year in his first season as an offensive line coach. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point somebody takes a swing at him to become an offensive coordinator. But then again, Josh Gaddis has you know been in the mix for head coaching jobs. And if he leaves, I could see Harbaugh promoting Sharon Moore. So those are the two areas that I think will determine whether or not this momentum sticks around long-term. Can the recruiting classes build one on top of the other? And can he retain enough of his key coaching staff members um, to keep some of the the cohesion or at least the, the dynamic inside Schembecker Hall the same as it was this this season, which obviously was a, a terrific blend for them.
1: By the way, I just want to say that's just a beautiful phrase, the momentum train. It's uh, I, I can see Sean being jealous that you used it because I'm sure he was thinking about using. it, But John U. Bacon's probably going to use it for the title of his next book. So, uh, so thanks for that that <laughs> contribution.
0: Oh my God, no, I don't get jealous, man. I, I admire and respect. I root for people that are uh, well, just for people that are human beings. So I guess not you, Carlos. But uh, <laughs> no, I, he's 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 part of the freak, man. You got to be happy for other people when they come up with something pretty like that, right? Come on, man! Absolutely, all right, absolutely. All right. And, he, and he said elixir too,
1: elixir, Sean. You know, I, I, I think you throw that in the column what, what two or three times
0: uh, a week or so. I, I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. Panacea. I do want come on. Panacea? No, that's a that's a no. That's not a good word. I mean, it's it's fine if you use it. I understand. You know, you're trying to impress people. Look. I want to, if it's okay with you, Carlos, I want to ask Michael one more thing before we let him go because he's got Please. more, more of this, uh, all that knowledge you're hearing. He's got to put it in, in story form and, uh, you know, keep the subscriptions rolling in for the free press so we can have jobs. Is that's <laughs> I mean, so we Someone's need to let him go do it at some point. God, I know. I know. I know. And I've, I've been, I've been off for a while. So it's, uh, it's been nice. I'm You've filming. been off for a long time, Sean. Yes. Yeah, maybe maybe you're right, but no, it's time to get, it's time to get back to work. But Michael, I wanted to, I wanted to know because you you have a lot of your background. Um, look, we're going to put aside the fact that you were a college soccer coach, because we don't want to get Carlos going. But a lot of your background in terms of writing and reporting journalism was in the NFL, and I'm curious for you if you could tell our uh, the folks here that read you you know what that transition was like to come in and cover uh college football a program like Michigan what the what the move from the east coast has been like to to Ann Arbor uh like I said I think it's snowing outside it's not where you are obviously but just how has it been for you personally and uh being here and, and and changing the scope of a little bit of your job
2: yeah it's been uh, it's been really interesting i um you know i hadn't covered college football since about 20 20- 13, which was the year I graduated college. And in that subsequent fall, I covered Syracuse football, um, which was my alma mater. I worked for the local paper in Syracuse. And so I had forgotten kind of like how college football works. And, you know, and what I mean by that is, you know, learning how and when to pay attention to recruiting and what trends matter and, and learning about you know, the different high schools that are pipelines and regions that are pipelines and which members of the coaching staff are stronger recruiters than other and who who has ties to which regions and and all that type of thing. And, but honestly, the biggest adjustment is just the, the change in access. Now, I know some of that is because of COVID, but, you know, coming from the NFL where, you know, locker rooms are open and at least in green Bay, where I was covering, they were open Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and after the game, you know, within a couple of weeks of starting that job, uh, players, if they didn't know my name, they at least recognize my face. Because when you see somebody five or six days a week for a couple of weeks, you can at least start to remember, you know, oh, that's that guy and so on. But, you know, in in, in this current climate and in college in general, there are no open locker rooms. Um, the only time I ever got to talk to Harbaugh or assistant coaches was when they were at a podium, so I've never been able to introduce myself to any of them formally. Same with the players. Um, and so it's, it's very unique. And so, you know, I, I, without having a lot of sourcing inside the program or anything, because obviously I'm new and and also it's very difficult to build relationships with people when you never get to talk to them one on one. I've kind of relied on my contacts in the NFL. So people who have followed some of my stories this year might notice that like I, I, one of the things that I did in a few different articles was pick out something that Michigan was either doing really well or struggling with or working on or whatever, and then reaching out to, you know, retired coaches or coaches who are unemployed looking for work or whatever, and asking them to, you know, break down these scenarios or, you know, one I did was, you know, how do you improve red zone execution? And so I had this big story about how Michigan has struggled in the red zone, what other coaches like to do in the red zone. And the consensus was, you know, use the tight ends, use the tight ends, use the tight ends. And then sure enough, the next game, uh, Luke Schoonmaker caught two touchdowns in the red zone, which was the first touchdown reception by a tight end in the red zone this season. So again, that doesn't make me look smart because I didn't come up with that. But I talk to people who know football and understand and, and try and get across the ideas of ways to improve your execution. And so I try and channel those things into my stories because If I'm a reader, I would want to know, like, why is Michigan so bad in the red zone? And then all of a sudden, people who are smarter than, you know, your average fan, because they do this for a living, can break it down and explain it. So that's kind of always been my approach to things. I learned pretty quickly in the NFL that if you go into a locker room with these guys that are pros and have reached the highest level and you try and act like you know about the game when you really don't. And I've never played a down of football in my life. My high school didn't even have a a football team. Um, You know, you'll be. You'll be laughed out of there pretty quickly. Um, And so I was always going into the locker room and, you know, going up to guys. I remember whether it was Devante, uh, Devante Adams or Clay Matthews and Julius Peppers, I would go up to them and I would say, hey, I saw this in the game. I don't understand it. Can you explain to me why you guys do this or what happens or what the point is of this? And they were always really receptive of that because, you know, this is what they do all day long, all year long, all decade long, their whole life. And they're happy sometimes to explain some of these things to people who are genuinely trying to learn. And, and so that's kind of how I approached it. And uh, again, that's why I reached out to all those coaches this week, because I had a general idea of what Georgia was good and bad at, but certainly not to the level of guys who do it all the time. So that's kind of always been my my approach to it. And, and that's, I think, an interesting way to cover college football at a time when you know access is pretty much limited to the podium. If you can find outside voices or different ways to to break down topics. I think it, it bodes well, or at least potentially comes across as more interesting. And and that's kind of how I've set it up. And that's how I've tried to handle this bowl week where every single thing is virtual. And even though I'm in the same region and same county as Harbaugh and his staff, I will not see them or speak to them in person all week long, which is a very weird thing. But that's the reality we live in right now.
0: Carlos, any,
1: any final uh, thoughts there? Um, well, I just want to clarify that an NFL locker room, Sean, is where you go during the week to interview <laughs> players. Um, you can find them there at their locker room. Sauce, um, but so so, Michael, you, you don't. Uh, there, there's two things. One, I think we have to. Tad's going to have to edit this because if too many people hear what's going on. Michael's not going to be with us very long here. We're going to get poached by someone quickly. That is a, uh, good, so to,
0: that is a good point, man. Yeah. That's a good yeah, point. Let's,
1: let's make them sound kind of dumb, Tad, if we can't <laughs> dumb it down. <laughs> yeah. um, but the other thing is, uh, so you don't get to do all the little uh, the little go-karting and the little excursions? They're not even doing that just to to see the players engage in something fun? So
2: the teams have, I think, um, both teams separately went out to dinner on a boat on Sunday night or Monday night and, and then they had a beach outing and a, uh, some other thing, but anyway, not only were they off limits to the media, but they were made optional, uh, for the teams. They didn't have to participate in them if they didn't want to because of any COVID concerns. Um, so no, uh, they even, we were supposed to be able to watch 15 minutes of practice on Tuesday, excuse me, Monday and Tuesday, where we were gonna stand like, you know, a hundred yards away, but you could at least say that you watched them practice for fifteen <laughs> minutes and then that was taken away. So I we have not seen hide nor hair of them all week and we won't have any idea of who's healthy, who's here, who's not here until they trot out onto the field on Friday night for uh, for warm-up. So it's it's been really strange and, and really bizarre. But yeah, I'm I'm here and uh, talking to everybody on Zoom. So it's it's a it's a wild sort of wacky week but as long as the game gets played in the end i guess that's the ultimate goal
0: well at least and you have the pool right
2: <laughs> yes i went down to the pool for the first time uh earlier today on the day we we're recording this for about 30 minutes uh other than that it's a lot of sitting in this uh hotel room which listeners can't see but the guys on the podcast with me can see it's a it's a great hotel room very very quaint and cozy and i'm, I'm happy to be here
0: it is and that's kind of a nice matte blue gray and, and i want to tell the listeners like it looks like you've made your bed <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is always, uh, which is always, well, the, always the other is, half
2: of it is, is ruffled yeah, okay. and ruffled and which,
0: which, which is always helpful. Look, man, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us, Michael. I've been, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. And, uh, you know, obviously this is uh, as good a time to any to do it. The free press is very, very lucky to have you. Uh, it's, it's, uh, really been fun <clears throat> working with you this fall. We got to give a quick shout out to Dave Burkett because you know without him i'm not sure you get to us right i mean he yeah he he, yeah dave
2: dave set that up dave and i've been friends for a long time since i was covering the nfc north and uh when the position opened up i think he reached out to me the day he heard about it and asked if i'd be interested and i said sure and then he uh he kind of fast-tracked me to our uh faithful leader uh kirkland crawford and it kind of it kind of went from there
0: i know i remember when i was in florida and you were up north somewhere and we were we were talking back in those days about all these possibilities and Man, if they they hey, they come true. I uh again, it's uh it's great to have you here. I will see you tomorrow, which is Friday, right? In yes. Podcast Land. Okay. And uh it'd be nice to get down there a little bit. I mean, Carl's probably is ready for me to leave the state anyway. He's been tapping his toe over there, but uh in any case, man, thanks again for joining us. We will see you soon. You can catch uh Michael's work at, at freep.com. You can follow him on Twitter. I, what's
2: your what's your handle? Uh, at Michael underscore Cohen 13.
0: Okay. Oh, so an underscore and a 13. Okay.
2: There's too oh, many good. Michael Cohens <laughs> out there, one of which uh, I'm sure I, most people <laughs> are familiar with.
0: No, I know, I know. Well, uh, listen, thanks for giving us the double segment today for breaking down everything. You're not going to find better analysis about this football team anywhere else in this state. I promise you that. Uh, We're going to take one more break, and we will be right back to talk about Michigan State and maybe even a little bit of the Lions and their path to the Super Bowl, which Carlos uh, keeps harping about. We'll be right back.
3: Hello, I'm Phil Friend, the host and producer of Spartan Speak, a podcast collaboration between the Detroit Free Press and Lansing State Journal focusing on Michigan State sports. Each week, I'm joined by the OGs of the MSU podcasting game, freak beat writer Chris Lowry, and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch as we discuss and dissect the latest sports news coming out of East Lansing. Not only is Spartan Speak one of, if not the, longest-running MSU sports podcast out there, you won't find a show with two people as clued into the Spartans as Chris and Graham, each of whom have spent a decade-plus covering MSU and bring years of institutional knowledge and insight to the podcast. And once in a while, they'll let me throw out a take as well. Along with discussing the latest news, we'll break down the Spartans' last game in the hardwood and the gridiron. What went right? What went wrong? Jet sweep. Again? For both Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo, get you ready for the next game, make predictions, and so much more. We can also guarantee at least one reference to Kalamazoo every podcast. So if you haven't already, download, subscribe, and listen to Spartans Speak on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your podcast app of choice
0: welcome back to free Press sports with Carlos and Sean boy that was uh, that was something our, our guy knows what he's doing Carlos and uh, oh yeah that's uh, that was impressive yeah we could we probably could have had him on a third segment but we can't because we write about and cover two universities and two football programs out there Michigan and Michigan State there is no blue wall here there's no blue wall here I know it's gonna look like it because we just spent 35 40 minutes letting Michael you know drop all that knowledge and now you and I are going to say you know nothing about Michigan State other than our bowl games, like the Peach Bowl, when one team's missing its Heisman worthy quarterback and the other team's missing its Heisman worthy running back. Are they? I mean, do they matter? I mean, obviously they matter, and they matter the players and the coaching staff. But but where are we headed, Carlos, with, with games like this?
1: Yeah, you know the important part of this this game, the you know is just I, I really want to see what Kenny Pickett does and what Kenneth Walker does. You know that that's they're the exciting players. Um, so yeah, no, I mean you know it, it, these bold games, and I, you have to explain it to me, Sean, because I didn't go to football school. You know so. Uh, to me when I grew up in my time it was if unless it was one of the big you know college football bowl games back in the day you know the, the Rose Bowl the Cotton Bowl that kind of stuff it, you know it didn't really matter unless you were playing for a national championship it was kind of just a, a vanity game it gave the alums a chance to travel to the games and and I and I was I worked in Pasadena in California where we had the Rose Bowl every year and you know the, the town would be taken over by whatever Big Ten team was in town and and it was joyful, but a lot of times it just didn't really mean anything other than bragging right. So this peach bowl, and obviously there's a reason why why Walker and Pickett aren't playing in this game. You know, they're protecting their their future in the NFL. So um it'd be great for Michigan State to win this game, a little cherry on the top for either team, for for Pitt or Michigan State, but what does it really mean? Well,
0: in terms of uh, the end of the season, you're, you're right. But but, but here's, what, here's what it means to the coaching staff and to the players, right? First of all, it means another four weeks of practice or five weeks. I mean, you know, it depends. Yeah, right? and, true. And, and so it's almost like a spring season. So it means a lot of practice and you get to see a lot of the young guys and, and they get more reps. And then the game itself, you can try guys. Um, you can try new guys. Maybe they haven't got much time. You can try different things so you can experiment a little bit. And then, you know, maybe some players that were injured, or uh, I don't know that they had really, really in COVID protocol, but maybe, you know, like I'm thinking of Jalen Aylor is a good example of a receiver from Michigan State. I think he's going to get the play. And he had had an, an injury that kept him out of the last, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven weeks of the season. So, So there's some of that. So, yes, it matters in terms of development in terms of the continuing the culture build and all of that. But but what you're asking is more existential in, in regarding college football fans and TV viewership and all that. And I don't know how sustainable that is, this model, especially, Carlos, once the playoff expands. And I know they've kind of put that on hold a little bit, but sooner or later it will. And then, and then what are we looking at with these peripheral bowl games? It's one thing, Carlos, for Central Michigan, right, but for programs at the level of Michigan State, you know, when they're going to go to a game and, and the top handful of players on each side aren't going to play, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure in terms of the entertainment, the viewership, and all that, that, that that's really that sustainable. But we'll see. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that I think you should make a really good point about you're almost describing this as a preseason game, you know, like you get some more time for practice, you get to look at some young guys, you know, it's about the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if the, if the college football, you know, puff does expand, I mean, that, that would be great. I think I think I would like to see meaningful games, me- games that are leading to something rather than just bragging rights. So, um, but there's always going to be money to be made with these bowl games. I think that's what it's, what it's really ultimately about. It's kind of a cash grab. Um, and it's part of the whole, like, I think you said, you know, existential idea of, you know, furthering the, the feel goodness of the programs, Maybe getting a few more donations, um, the alumni, all that stuff. Uh, So I guess I mean I I, I've never really had a big rooting or any rooting interest in any bowl game. Um, But I just can't imagine just that. Why uh, you know the whatever uh, PeachBowl.com or whatever it is, you know the, the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl, like oh bragging rights. Wow, we won that. You know it's almost it's almost it almost works almost like a black mark against coaches because if coaches win a bowl game, a a second tier, third tier bowl game, nobody really cares, but if they lose it, then people throw their losing bowl record in against them, you know, only one in four in bowl games or whatever it might be. So um, I don't really know what it adds up to other than just helping us watch some TV and kill some time during the holidays.
0: Well, yeah, yes, for sure. But like I said, there are a lot of good reasons a program wants it, a coach wants it. The other thing too, for Michigan state fans in, in, in this particular game, and I get it, Pitt doesn't have their quarterback and in and, and Mr. Pitts and, and Kenneth Walker's not there. But that that might be kind of fun in a way. What's the because the Peyton Thorne, the quarterback from Michigan State, is going to be back, and uh, most of the receivers are going to be back, I would assume. And um, you know, the next year they've got they've already got Trent. they've got a transfer running back coming in from Wisconsin. They've got recruits, so the team's gonna be different when they roll it back out in the spring. But it gives you at least a little bit of an idea what their offense might look like without Kenneth Walker back there, right? So that's sort of interesting right if you're uh, no no it's I'm, not interesting if you're a michigan state care. if you're a michigan if you're a michigan state fan that's interesting come on you gotta so you're gotta telling me some. you're telling me that the
1: michigan state fans you know Kevin walker's had a fantastic season he's been just electric and for Pitt, kenny pickett has been amazing he's been fantastic you know heisman candidate and you know he's going to be a first round pick and all this stuff your two best players on each side are not in this game how can you get excited
0: about oh let's look at some other dude who's not even. Well, has depends on how much, much you like. Season. I guess it depends on how much you like football. No, I understand your point, and it diminishes the excitement level. Uh, as a test, you want to see you know, and ah. follow through. I mean, Michigan State's had this just stunning, feel-good season, and you and you want to and you want to follow that through and in it in a certain way. So, I I get your point, but um, look, have we have we? I mean, I'm looking at the contract here. Have we talked about Michigan State long enough to uh, to avoid the blue wall business.
1: I think so. I think we're okay. even though there's a blue wall behind you and there was a blue wall behind Michael's uh no, you know, that's, background in that's this br- hotel. There's brown. literally it's blue the,
0: walls. That's brown. It's the lighting on the it's the lighting on the camera here. I would assume, right? Okay. So now yeah. we have got a Oakland no, University brown this, wall. This this is blue. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. Hey man, look, before we wrap this up, can we can I get a quick few of your thoughts about um about the Lions and they're almost they're almost win the uh, other day. Okay, fine, we'll call it a loss. But they <laughs> they had the, the ball in their hands at the end of the end of the game to win the game in Atlanta. And then our our buddy Dave Burkett, let's mention him again because we've not talked about him enough on this podcast. Um, let's let's uh, point out that he wrote a good story earlier this week about where he made the argument. I'm curious what you think, Carl's, that the Lions are actually better set up for the future. Based on what we've seen the last four or five weeks with the with this coaching staff and the way they play, that they're better set up in the future than their central division rivals in Minnesota and uh, and Chicago. And uh, I was th- I thought that was an interesting sort of thing to write. And I'm curious what you think. Oh uh, yeah, I mean,
1: he's a you know the, there there's leadership issues with both teams. The you know with the Vikings and the Bears, and everybody's expecting Matt Nagy to get fired in Chicago. So there's going to be some turnover there. Uh, who knows what happens um, with Mike Zimmer in, in Minnesota. But they're, those teams look like they're heading to, uh, you know, changes, maybe rebuilds, and the Lions are already starting it. They've already started, gone through one year of it, and the coaching staff has looked good. So, I, I mean, it makes sense, you know, that you can say that until until the Bears hire, you know, Mike McDonald or someone like that and everybody gets excited or whoever the hot coaches and – and then suddenly it's, you know, oh, my God, this is going to be the next great thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the Lions have had, and we've talked about this all season, you know, they've, they've had a tough season, but they have shown promise. You know, they, have, they haven't gotten blown out that much. Um, you know, they've had a lot of injuries, a lot of talent issues, a lot of different obstacles, but they've held together. Um, next year is going to be really the first year that I think we can start – coming close to judging them a little more accurately and possibly harshly because they're going to get a chance to turn over the roster yet again you know 40 percent, maybe more um they're going to get more of their guys more draft they got a ton of draft picks so next year is going to be more of a of a true um gauge for where this team is headed um but this year you know they've 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 done what they could they've 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 looked impressive at times um, and they've got two games to go and maybe they'll, maybe they'll pull out another one game or who knows what's going to happen against Green Bay in the finale. But um, your Seahawks, I think the, you know, the Seahawks just lost to the bears and people weren't happy in Seattle. And so I think when you go to Seattle and each
0: way through the city, Sean, you'll be able to, to see what you, uh, your impressive Lions. you know, maybe beat any, the Seahawks. Won't, won't be any time for that. I'll be getting in Saturday night, uh, flying from South Florida and, Probably sit there and, uh, I don't know, have a bag of Cheetos and, and uh, get up and go to the game and then come back home <laughs> Monday, so I, I'm, I'm not really envisioning any of that, but I enjoy it. Hey, listen, man, I want you to tell me uh, uh, what your favorite thing is, if you don't mind. My favorite thing, um, we talked about it last week with Christmas, and, and
1: it was another kind of Christmas thing where... Yeah, you, know, you know, Sean. As we get older, um, you know, I'm, I'm approaching middle age. You're you're in your mid 60s, so we both kind of know what we're talking about. Um, you, you lose that kind of magic, that thing for Christmas gifts and getting excited about the toys you used to you get. Do. Or you, do. you know, I'm sure I'm sure Tad gets excited about his uh, his iPod or his new headphones or whatever. He still he's still in his his Connect Four that age. His Connect Four, yeah. his Atari, all that stuff, and uh, you know, so. So I wasn't expecting anything this year. You know, my wife and I didn't really talk about presents too much. And she likes to surprise me. She says it's hard to, you know, shop for me. So she got me for Christmas, she got me Apple AirPods Pro. They're just, you know, AirBuds. And I've had the first generation of that, just the regular AirBuds, and, and I like them just fine. They're they've been very good. I've I have I wear them on trips, use them on trips. But I actually need to once in a while have um noise cancellation when I'm at a stadium you know Red Wings or Lions games and I have to transcribe something you have to block out the stadiums really loud so I had been mentioning that to her so she decided you know I had no idea that she was getting this um, for me and I looked at it and you know how you get that present and it's like you kind of don't want to show your sort of slight disappointment of like I don't really need this or want it and so was, I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. And there's, I never in a million years would have bought these for myself. And so later that day, we're bored, you know, after Christmas, after the presents and the food. So you I pull easily them, out. don't you? I, I absolutely do. And, and, and you're, I start, I start playing with these things, and they are. Fantastic! They're just amazing. They have this thing called spatial audio, and they have all these different. And it really makes you, it makes it sound sometimes like the voice or the sound of the music is like inside the center of your head somehow. It's, it's almost disconcerting a way that they are able to manage the audio way that you you process that in your head, the way your your mind does. So. I was just really blown away. So I, I probably was listening to music for four or five hours on Christmas night. And my wife was like, well, I guess you like those, don't you? Um, so I was really blown away. It was a little bit of that that little young, you know, when I was young magic of a, having that toy or something that you just didn't even expect or think about. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. I have to give
0: my wife full credit. Um, so it was a really it was a really fun day. Well, that's that's really lovely. And uh, next week, hopefully, you'll give us a favorite thing and not a commercial. <laughs> Are we sponsored by Apple yet? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's 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 nice. My, mine too. I'm I'm going to be brief here, Carlos. Mine also has to do with Christmas. Um, for whatever reason, maybe for a few reasons this year, Carlos, uh, COVID surge, um, work. Uh, busy, just the, the the off-kilterness is the, the way some of the, the days feel and the world feels a little bit. Uh, maybe just being tired. The, the, the boys, my, my sons, were going to be gone um, for most of Christmas. In, in any case, we didn't get a tree. And that's the first time uh, probably since, I don't know, I was 19 and living in an apartment in Texas by myself, and I don't think I got a tree that year. But uh, So it's been a long time. And, um, and I regretted it, you know, and, and, and the boys did too. And it's just, it was a good reminder that this is my favorite thing to be reminded not to take it for granted, just to let, you know, no matter what's happening outside your door, maybe not, no matter what, but, uh, you know, try to keep certain traditions. If you believe in them and you, you do them try to, uh, keep things somewhat normal. I mean, it kind of helps fight off, uh, when things feel a little bit, uh, unsettled, and in any case, um, I, I was glad to I was glad to get that and have to sit there and and look at the space where it would normally be, or at least it's been for a while, and not being able to enjoy it. And uh, and I was glad to be reminded of that, Carl. So that's my favorite thing. Oh, that's very. T- you basically ripped off the Charlie Brown Christmas special uh, plot, but yeah, yeah, that was that okay. Was very so you touchiness. you pitch Apple, and I'm pitching Charles Schultz. There we go. <laughs> How about that? How About that. Well, no, listen, listen. That's very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, man. Uh, once again, it was a pleasure enjoyed it as always i hope you did too and uh it was really fun bringing in a surprise guest for you i knew i knew he was going to be good you know and, oh yeah uh, it was fantastic we need yeah. to have more guests we do we do i i, I was going to try to do the double dose today so we could chris Solari, who covers michigan state for us in for the uh, michigan state portion and we could just wind him up and let him get angry and howl at the moon <laughs> which, which, which which would be fun we're gonna we're gonna do that soon but he's actually in the air right now as we speak flying down to atlanta so we couldn't we couldn't make. No, that he's work. not because this thing is dropping on Thursday. So he's not flying in the air. He's he's already well, no, there. He, he, well, when we recorded, when we recorded recently, 40. he was flying.
1: By the way, uh, I love how you you the the image I get is Chris Solari, Navy Seal, Halo jumping out of an airplane yeah. down to Atlanta to cover no, the Peach
0: Bowl. It's totally true. It's totally true. So we'll have him on soon, and uh, it's going to be a lot of college basketball to talk about here. Not too much longer, and who knows, maybe he can recap up recap for us, Mel Tucker's season and he can you know he can get his face all red and he can start screaming at us it'll be great it'll be I will be just like right I will press so, with him i will so look forward to talking to Solari. he will be he will
1: be so much all you have to do is say hey chris and he's gonna go off it's just yeah. it's gonna no, be a 10 minute rant
0: it'll, it'll be great it'll be great well listen man once again uh one of, one of my favorite parts of the week is the day that we record this we're not going to say that because you know you, you guys are listening it's thursday and you don't need to be confused and uh, i'm already confused <laughs> i've always been confused and i need to stop talking before i confuse myself even more here but uh, anyway all right man i uh, i uh, hope you had a good christmas uh have enjoyed your holiday i hope to see you soon we want to thank uh tad davis who we can see Right? We can we can see him a little bit, right? Yeah. I, I, he's giving us yeah. a finger. Okay. I'm not sure which one. Yeah, I'm not sure which finger. one it is. But we want to thank him for making this possible, for hanging out with us uh, during this. We're still in the holiday, in the holiday week between Christmas and New Year's. We want to thank Anjanette Delgado and Kirkland Crawford, the uh, executive producers. Oh, my goodness, man. I did not mention Anjanette before today, before this moment. <laughs> I hope it's a I record. Do. It's the first time. I know. I hope I don't get in trouble. Okay. We're totally getting in trouble. Okay, we have to re- redo the whole thing okay. now. Okay, yeah, maybe maybe we should. Well, let's let's thank her twice then. Let's just thank Angelina Delgado. Okay, it's fine. Let's thank Kirkland Crawford twice too for making this happen. And then uh, our executive editor Peter Batia. We uh, would love it if you subscribed wherever you find your favorite podcast at Apple, Spotify, and other such places. If you get there, you know, rate us. Tell us what you think. And so, you know, you don't you don't have to give us five stars. I mean, that'd be great, but you don't have to. In any case, we want to thank you for giving us your time, for coming back to us every week, and we will see you and talk to you soon.